We're here today, uh, first of all, we're in the extraordinary offices of Capital Strategies. Are we on? Yeah. Oh, gosh. No, you can eat. (laughs) Lynn Foxwell is a hungry man. So, go for it. (sighs) Well, this is better. We need some air moving through here. Okay, everybody. This is Capital Strategies. This is their annual signing. This is my first time here, Len. It is an absolutely beautiful spot here. Yeah. Rob Johnson's here. Rob Johnson. I got Oh, so- we, we just encountered... A the, living legend. A living Annapolis legend oh. with Delegate Jolene Ivey. Council, I'm sorry. The, well, word, the word icon doesn't even begin to capture what she means to this Future county community. executive, future governor. President. I'm going to get her in trouble. Future president. Mother of the great Julian Ivey. Mother of the great Julian A man who's making a difference at a very young age. Mm-hmm. My baby. It's your baby. Lynn, do you, do we, do you have a napkin? I spilled something. Here you go. Thanks. I'm, Julian Ivey, I'll make it, yeah, I'll bring this up because you and I haven't talked about it enough offline, but Julian Ivey entered the race he wasn't supposed to win last year. No, he, he entered he was the race taking, with Red Jimmy. He was taking on the heretofore believed to be impregnable Jimmy Tarlow. Yeah. And against all odds, Julian Ivey won that primary. And you and I were together on that primary night. We, we were. We were at Wet City. Hey, thanks. We were at Wet City. I'm going to give a shout out to this gentleman. Thank you. Joe Woods, Hockey County. Okay. <laughs> Great guy. Um, so, Len, let's just get started. And let's do it. I don't know how this thing's going to go tonight, but it, it should be fun. As I said, signy die, last day of session for anybody who's listening. Um, it's, it's a somber day. We, we found out yesterday that the Speaker of the Maryland House of Delegates passed away at the age of 82. That's Mike Bush. Um, last week, he went in for the, the hospital for pneumonia. And he took a turn for the worse yesterday, and very sadly, he passed away at 3.22 p.m. yesterday afternoon. It, it shocked the Maryland political world. It shocked people who weren't in politics. He was the longest-serving House Speaker in the state of Maryland for 16 years. Mike Bush first elected in 19, 1986 uh, with Peter Franchot. It was quite a star-studded cast when you look back on it. It was Peter Franchot, Mike Bush, Brian Frosch, Paul Pinsky, uh, I believe Kumar Barbie. I believe, and I could be wrong on this, I believe Kumar Barbie came out of that class. Uh, just a lot of people who were elected in 1986. It was that year of generational change, and so many of them went on to much bigger and better things. Yeah. Len, you've been here for a long time in Annapolis, longer than I have. And, and to your credit, you, uh, you know politics. Talk about the speaker. You know, I've just been struck what, you know, reading the, the responses on social media and in the papers. And <clears throat> so many times in politics, you, you know, it, it, you're presented with a dichotomy. You have to be feared or respected or loved. You know, as if, as if these are mutually exclusive properties. And it's been quite clear over the last 24 hours, you know, and we already knew this, Mike Bush was loved and respected. He was admired and he was feared. He was feared because he was a consummate legislative tactician who never went into a legislative battle that he didn't think he could win. He was respected because of his fundamental integrity and he was loved because he was a mentor and, dare I say it, a coach to so many. And so many of these lawmakers who have gone, have taken to social media have talked about 
how he was literally their coach, how he saw something better in each of them and worked like a coach would work with his players to bring out their very best. And, you know, Ryan, I'll say, listen, I'm not going to romanticize it. We had our ups and downs. Uh, my boss and the speaker had their disagreements. Well, they had some battles. And they had some battles. Uh, but today it, is not a time to talk about no. the battles. It's a day to talk about the very best qualities in a man and those qualities that made him a legend who's... Yeah, whose legacy is going to live on for decades in this town. Len, do you think that's what separates Annapolis from Washington, that we put aside our legislative battles in a time of mourning, and we say, while we may have been on opposing sides, today is a day, and in subsequent days coming, that we're going to remember the speaker for his, his status to, of what he was able to accomplish and I saw the speaker really as the glue um, between several different competing and diverging caucuses. And I think it would be fair to say that later in life, Mike Bush turned to be more of a progressive when he came into the House. Right, right. And I think that that evolution occurred. And, of course, the House of Representatives, House of Delegates in the state of Maryland is where the rubber meets the road. And you're going to find a lot more hardcore progressives there. You know, Ryan, I think the primary thing that separates Annapolis from Washington is that we're a small town. And Washington is such a big organism compared to Annapolis. You know, in Annapolis today, you know, walking through, walking down Raleigh Boulevard and across states, you know, across Lawyers Mall and around the circle, there's like a homecoming, and you'd see people, and one person after another, you realize you have 20 years of history going back over multiple jobs. You've been working, you've worked with them, you've worked against them, but you've always known them, and. Um, today is a day where you can actually set aside your political battles of just a week or two ago and talk to people as the friends that you that they ultimately are at the end of the day. It's a, it's and that a, doesn't happen in Washington because the place is so big and relatively speaking, it's pretty impersonal. You don't get that sense of personal connection through the years that you get here in Annapolis. Lynn, I think that today we are taking some time a lot of time, really, to reflect on the, the speaker, the late speaker. Um, but I think that as, as someone in the news business and someone that has to consider what's going to happen next, we have to ask that important question. Um, what happens next? Right. And I think what happens next is they're going to have an election on who's going to become the next speaker now that uh, Speaker Bush has passed. Well, I think there, I think there are a couple of things that are happening. One... As, a, as you go around town today, I think you and I are hearing the same things. Two names. Is, well, before we, before we even get to the succession battle, there is an open question as to whether, given the fact that the speaker, the ha- given the fact that the incumbent speaker has passed away, is Adrian Jones a legitimate interim speaker at this point? Because she, as you know, she's been filling in over the course of this, these past 90 days on behalf of the speaker. Uh, in her role as a speaker pro tem, but Rule 14 basically says, when you know, of, of Maryland Code of the Constitution, when when a speaker passes away, or when a speaker leaves office, you have to elect elect a new speaker, and so that is that's creating a little bit of a legal rub. But putting that aside, uh, yeah, there are a couple of names, and to that I'd add a potential third name, which is Delegate Adrian Jones, who apparently. Is ex- according to several informed observers, is expressing an interest in joining Derek Davis 
the veteran Democrat from Prince George's County, and Maggie McIntosh, the appropriations chairwoman from Baltimore City, in this race to succeed Speaker Bush. I'm also hearing the name, and I heard this, it's an interesting name that may not uh, be in the conversation, but there's chatter. Delegate Kumar Barve. I've heard Kumar's name. I don't know where his votes come from. I mean, uh, if, if you, if, you know, right now you have you know, Adrian Jones, who is the Speaker Pro Tem. She has had the exposure and the credibility that comes with having filled in and by all accounts has done a good job on the rostrum on behalf of the Speaker. Right. You have Derek Davis, who is Chairman of the House Economic Matters Committee, has a substantial war chest at his disposal and could put those resources to bear to solidify votes and solidify support. And Maggie McIntosh has deep ties to the progressive community. She's from the economic engine of the state of Maryland. She is well-equipped to fight for the city of Baltimore. Do you think it's going to be Maggie, Len, and your political expertise? You know... I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I think that you have been here a long time in this town, and you know how things work. I keep hearing that Maggie might have the votes wrapped up. Let's put it it in these terms. Maggie has the straightest path to the speakership. If it's it's just a straight matter of whip counts in the Democratic caucus, I think Maggie has the straightest count. Um, Derek has to do something of a 7-10 split, if you know what I mean, to borrow a term from bowling where he has to... Hope for hope for the the black caucus to hold firm, and he would have to rely. Isn't that the largest caucus? Um, well, he'd also have to rely heavily on the Republican caucus to break for him. The Republican caucus would have to decide to become a player and mobilize in support of Derek Davis. And, and would that, they? Well, and I don't know. I don't have the insights of that. But I, but I, but I can not, tell you, there's delegates out there, Len, that Republican conservatives that I know on the Eastern Shore who who sit on Maggie's committee. That she chairs appropriation, the lover. Well, but but like on the but to extend to extend that thought, you have people like Johnny Mouse from the Eastern yep. Shore and Chris Adams from the Eastern Shore. They also serve on the Economic Matters Committee, and that is a committee that truly transcends partisanship because they 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 divide themselves according to their economic interest. Do they support big business or do they support um, economic populism? That's kind of the dividing line. It's not. Republican versus Democrat or liberal versus conservative. And I could see Derek picking up some support among Republicans, which could create some issues for him within his own Democratic caucus. Then with either Derek or Maggie, it's going to be a first. And it's going to make history. With with Maggie, you could have the first female uh, gay speaker. And then with Derek, the first African-American. Here's what I'm looking at, though, Ryan. I'm taking, you're absolutely right. I think your analysis is spot on, as always. But I look back, I take a step back, and here's the question I have. Is the next Speaker of the House, whether it's Derek or Maggie or Adrian or Delegate Barve, are they, are, are they, are they, are they, are we going to see a continuation of the type of top-down vertical politics that we've seen in this town for decades? Yeah. Where power emanates from the presiding officer down through the committee chairs down to the rank and file and we've seen it time and time and time again where the rank and file members will say I I don't like this bill I don't support this bill but I'm being told what to do <laughs> and it's the ultimate 
machine politics. And that's not a critique of Mike Bush. It's a critique of the culture that we have in this town that has been allowed to gestate for decades. Len, can I talk a little bit about, it's my first session, and what I observed as a, for the lack of a better term, a newbie in Annapolis. I'd like to talk to you about some of my observations. And what, I've, what I have observed in Annapolis is that, as you said, it's, an, it's a small town. It's an extraordinarily caring place that is run um, a little bit different than Washington. I worked in Washington. You know Washington. But people are definitely afraid of leadership. They, they, are. they cannot go against leadership. Uh, they, if they defy a vote, even in committee, they risk being challenged. They risk losing upward mobility. And I think that that might slowly change um, in years to come. But I, and, and even so much as the press, I've noticed that there are people hesitant to take on stories because they don't want to upset certain committee chairmen. They don't want to go out and do investigative work. And now, that's not to say that I, I will, but I'm also saying that I'm, I come with a little bit different perspective. I'm... But Ryan, you do do that. That's exactly what you've done this year. There are two ways to approach the craft. You can either wait for stories to come to you, or you can go out and get the stories. And that's what you've done. You have actually gotten out from behind your desk. You've turned your computer. I don't have a computer. desk. That, well, even better. <laughs> Makes it easier. Takes the decision out of your hand. You turn the computer off, and you've actually put on your shoes, and yeah. you've gotten out and hit the bricks. I've had and to. You've, gotten sto- you've broken stories that no one else has gotten. And I'm telling you, Ryan... The, the success you had during the 2018 gubernatorial election has carried over into the 2019 legislative session. And the fact that you're not playing by the same rules that everyone else is playing by is making you an impact player in this town. And the only thing I can say as a consumer of news is to keep it up because you're making a difference. Well, I'll, I'll keep working at it. And it's uh, <laughs> to the chagrin of maybe some of the yields, the old school Annapolis press corps. And, you know, God bless the Len Lazarus of this world. God bless the, uh, the Brian Sears of this world, uh, you know, and they, they look forward to showing up to work every day and going to their desks in the basement of the Capitol and, and doing what they need to do and getting those press releases from the Speaker's office, and God bless them. But uh, that's not my style, but I, I don't want to take away from what they do because they but do I saw, but I, my memory of Ryan Miner <laughs> from this session, <laughs> this session, yeah. And I'm not going to name. I'm not going to name the newsmaker. I'm not going to tell your listeners who was a, whether this person was an elected official or a lobbyist. But it was a person of consequence. I saw you running down Francis Street and chasing this person down <laughs> the alley between Francis Street and Main Street to try to presumably trying to hunt down a story. Yeah. You were literally, you were literally crawling around in the back alleys of this town oh. trying to get stories that no few. one else is getting. Yeah. And I said, that's son of a gun. That's the way old-time journalism used to be played. Well, I've got a lot to learn, but it's, it's been a journey, and I'm going to keep building on this and what I've learned. Lynn, let's consider what happened during this session. I keep hearing different characterizations of how this particular session, which started on January, was it the 9th, January 8th or 9th? Something like that. I continue to hear that it's been a very strange session, very active and busy, but it's been weird. Some people have described it as being especially weird but there's some truly big ticket items that got through that think about the $15 minimum wage consider the styrofoam ban um, 
there's been several overrides of the governor's veto, one that directly impacts your agency at the comptroller's office. And at the very beginning of session, the fight that they took on seems to be aimed at your boss, Comptroller Peter Francho, and they made him, they put him into the crosshairs, proverbially speaking, that he, Peter Francho has stuck up for the craft brewers in this state, and he believes that they should have a voice at the table. And then this, the, the, the House of Delegates comes back around, and what do they do? They strip him of his regulatory powers to regulate alcohol and tobacco. It went to the governor's desk. He vetoed the bill, and they overrode the veto. And so here, where we are, where are we, Len? What's going to happen next? Well, we're kind of well. Let me let me first get to the point that you raised about it being an odd session. It, it has been a very surreal session, and I think that you know any the, the the energy from any particular legislative session comes from three people. It comes from the governor, and it comes from the two presiding officers. Those are, those are the three engines that propel and notarize any 90-day session in this state. And right from the start, we knew it was going to be a little bit different because the Senate president has his health challenges. Yeah, and we should mention that the Senate president announced at the very beginning of the session that he has stage 4 cancer. Stage 4 prostate cancer. Stage yeah. 4 prostate cancer. He's been battling that for the last couple of years, or a couple of, uh, of months, and... I, you know, I, I, I got to give him extreme credit. He gets up to the rostrum. He's been going through chemotherapy, and, you know, he's losing his hair, and he, I'm sure he's tired, and I know that uh, he's going to go for radiation treatments after this session. Right. But Mike Miller, what I've learned, observing, he's a fighter, Lynn. Well, he is, he's a fighter. I mean, he's a legendary figure, and, and Mike Miller did, didn't get to where Mike Miller is today personally, professionally, by by rolling over in the face of challenge and adversity. So we wish him all the best. We wish him God's mercy. Yeah. But Mike Miller had health challenges. We're now all too sadly aware of the magnitude of the health challenges that confronted Speaker Bush. Right. And you also have Governor Hogan, whose, whose attention was really from the start divided between Annapolis and his own potential national aspirations as the moderate counterpoint to the presidency of Donald Trump. Think about that. From the second that session started when he was inaugurated for his second term, the only Republican to win re-election since Thad, uh, Ted McKelton. Ted, Ted yeah, Theodore McKelton back in the, uh, the 50s. I, I, I mean, it's, it's extraordinary, Lynn. He had Governor Jeb Bush. That was not by accident. That was by design. Right. He had Governor Jeb Bush, former Florida governor, former presidential contender of the Bush family, and of course back last November, um, November 30th, we lost uh, a legend, President George H.W. Bush, and I watched his speech, and it, it did not just stay here in Maryland. There was some national tones to that. Do you, do you agree? Well, I, you know, do I think that... Do I think that Larry Hogan is going to run for president. No, no I, don't I don't think yeah, Larry Hogan's going to run for president. He hasn't. He hasn't. He hasn't laid one, one track. Uh, he hasn't laid one track down. Well, he hasn't he raised needs. money. He hasn't raised money. He, he hasn't, hasn't built to... infrastructure. He hasn't assembled an activist core. But, but what I do think he's doing, I think it's the baseball equivalent of taking a secondary lead off the base. And those of you who follow baseball understand, he's taking a big lead off the base so that if something happens, whether 
doesn't look like it's going to be an indictment anymore because of the Mueller report. But if something were to happen to cause a, a breakdown in the Trump base, Larry Hogan is positioned by virtue of his national exposure to come in and pick up the pieces. So history will judge what, where he goes with all this. But what we do know is that he, from the start, his attention between Annapolis and the national political scene has been somewhat uh, divided this year. And so, do you think that he's taken less of a hands-on approach here in Annapolis than he has in other sessions? I believe that's I believe that's true. Yeah, I mean, he's been out yeah. on the street. It's a, he's, na- it's a natural. I think it's a natural progression. I think it's a natural consequence of someone who has has won re-election by a comfortable margin and is now, you know, contemplating his his options for what might come next. Right. And to see if there's a synergy between the man and the national political moment. But yes, what it means is he has not been as hands-on as in, in direct as he has been in the previous four legislatures. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fun to watch and speculate, but if I were to guess today, on April the 8th, 2000 and, <laughs> 2019, Larry Hogan is not going to run for president. Not going to run for president. I, I don't see it. And you, you made a great point. There's no infrastructure. Where's the money? Right. Uh, it's just not going to happen. But what he has done, and he, what he has done rather skillfully, is interject himself and his ideas, and his and his position on the on the Republican national spectrum into the conversation. Yeah. And like I said, if something were to happen to Trump, I don't know what the likelihood of that is or isn't. That's, but I, I think very little. But he would stand prepared to pick up the pieces, and who knows what happens down the road. Lynn, this session was dominated by a couple of figures, and not necessarily in the positive. Uh, earlier in session, around March, uh, they had a, a major incident that took place at an Annapolis Cigar Lounge. I've been there, okay? I've smoked a cigar in that cigar lounge, and we're talking what about... What is with the keys, by the way? Tell me what's going on, because I keep, I, he- I keep, I running, I keep hearing that... Well, there's some legislators that I know that have access. You get a special key. Yeah. And you can I think that's fair to say. And you can go upstairs, yeah. and you can bring your own beer, and yep. you can hang out and smoke yeah. and drink. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a cozy place to unwind after a long day in Annapolis. Um, and, there's, and I'm not going to mention my name. They've already, it's already been reported. But several well-known legislators go up there and just sit back and hang out. Um, and one night, I guess, earlier in session... Uh, Delegate Marianne Lasante was up there, and she made a uh, she said a word that you, you, you just cannot say. Yeah, we know. You should not say. say. It's not we're we're not going to repeat it, but we all know what she said, yeah. and we all know what happened. They took they took the measure of censuring her. She hasn't. She and they haven't gone to the step of expelling her. They took them. They took a censure, which and really at this point, what, what does that mean? It means nothing, Ryan. I mean, is people are people for look? I've seen her out and about, and I, I you won't see her at any of these parties, okay? Right. And I, I think she's keeping a low profile. She's going to do her time in the penalty box. She's going to keep a low profile, give it an I, entire summer and fall for this thing to blow over, and unless something happens back home in Harford County. She's going to be right back where she is. Next you think she'll year. run for re-election? I can't answer that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't. Th- I hope she doesn't, because I think she's a disgrace to the body. I mean, this is this is so much more potent than what Ralph Northam did in Virginia. Let's let's compare the two. Now, Ralph Northam, for the for your listeners who may have forgotten, uh, a a the Virginia governor, a a photograph was found in his medical school. Nineteen eighty four, dating back to 
1984 from Virginia Commonwealth University showing him in blackface. Yeah. Okay? An absolutely abhorrent, re reprehensible symbol of the bigotry of years gone by. I'm not saying this to excuse it. I am saying it to put it in context. That was in 1984, 34 years ago, before Ralph Northam was a political figure making decisions to impact all of Virginia. What Marianne Lasanti said in that cigar bar two months ago was in her capacity as a state delegate talking to her legislative colleagues at a time... About a fellow district. A fellow district when she is a senior representative, she is a senior member of Democratic leadership who's making fiduciary decisions, policy decisions that affect every region and county and city in this state. How can she be expected to represent with credibility and objectivity all Maryland when she harbors views like that? She should resign or the legislature failing that should have taken steps to expel her from the body. Could that still happen by the, tonight's end of session? No, no, not a chance. It's not going to happen. Nah, not a chance. So she's going to go. She'll go back to the district, and then she'll come back next session. Unless she makes a unless she makes a decision of conscience, or unless the the civic and political leaders back home in her district go to her and say, "Marianne, you've got to step aside." I think virtually every figure in Annapolis has come out and said, "You need to step aside." Now, another incident occurred where a report was uh, by the House Ethics Committee uh, regarding uh, Delegate Jay Jalisi uh, from, was it District 10? He's, he represents District uh, 10, Baltimore, Baltimore County, um, where he uh, mistreated his staff. Um, we've got a celebrity in the room, <laughs> a couple. So um, the uh, Baltimore County executive just walked in. So Lynn, Delegate Jay Jalisi, mistreats the staff, said some inappropriate things, um, they uh, issued a reprimand. That became another defining moment, and another big moment in this session is the ongoing scandal in Baltimore City. Catherine Pugh today, 14, 14 members of the Baltimore City Council has now come out and said, you have lost all the confidence of us and this city, and you need to step aside, and you need to step down. The mayor today has come out with a statement that she is not stepping down, that she is going to return to work after she uh, feels better. Of course not. Mary, Mary Ann Lasanti didn't step down. Jay Jalisi doesn't step down. Catherine Pugh doesn't step down. What this speaks to, the three, three very distinct cases unified by one thread, which is that there is a pervasive pattern of misconduct in, in Annapolis and in Baltimore where people stay here for so long and they accumulate so much power that they seem to lose sight of the fact that the laws pertain to all of us. How does Catherine Pugh come back from this? I don't think she, There's no way she credibly comes back. Because, we, you know, with the ums thing, I was, willing, I was willing to play it out to see where this thing's going. But when the Kaiser Permanente scandal came out, where $114,000 they did for... Where they, bought her, where they bought her books that may or may not even exist. Yeah. Well, they had an active... Where the hell are the books? Well, we found a few of them. We found a few of them in, a, in, a, in shrink wrap in a Baltimore City public schools warehouse. But the rest of them, God knows. Lynn, you... But, 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 but this is... But what this is... But what we're seeing now with J.P. Grant and with Kaiser Permanente, it is, it's, down, it's, it's outright bribery. 
they were give, they were giving her cash on the barrel head in exchange for for for, uh, for business for contracts. I mean, people go to prison for this sort of thing for a very long time. Uh, Sheila Dixon, former mayor of Baltimore City, was indicted. She went to trial. She ultimately resigned based on a gift cards. Is this to the exponent of that? Is this much more severe? Of course. I mean, it's not the, it's not the excuse for one second what Sheila Dixon did because Sheila Dixon stole from poor kids, okay? We we know what her moral we know what her moral compass is all about. Do you believe that she her account was hacked? That she put out a statement the other day about running no, for mayor. No, I don't. I think mayor. it was a trial balloon. And I think that the, she got what she wanted. The trial balloon was shot down with force. You think because think about the Baltimore City primary for mayor is going to be a mile long. Consider that. Consider who wants or is at least considering running for mayor of Baltimore City. You got Brandon Scott. Um, who ran along the same ticket with uh, with uh, Jim? Um, Sorry, did I interrupt the discussion about Everton's transfer uh, window this summer? Oh my God, we've been joined by a, a true legend, Martin Nugent, <laughs> a former Red Maryland uh, founder and Red Maryland executive editor, uh, a Tottenham Hotspur fan, therefore a very frustrated, repressed soccer fan although, right now. Although you know, we got our shot against Man City in Champions League on uh, Tuesday, so. Mark Nugent, who is the the brains in, of the second floor in Annapolis. Let me tell you something. Legislators appropriate. Mark Nugent, in his role as Governor Hogan's BPW guru, has for four years actually seen how the taxpayer money gets spent. And the man's done a damn good he, job. He knows more about the Board of Public Works than, than maybe anybody. Well, I, had a, I had a good partnership with the uh, Comptroller's office and Lynn Fox over here. Did you know that Mark Nugent is actually the father of Jonah Nugent, who is who is the leading scorer in both the soccer and hockey leagues for the for the for the Columbia Rec program? 40, Forty-one goals, but I'm not bragging. Wow! <laughs> the Soccer Association of Columbia, they, you know, their award for the Player of the Year, it's about to be renamed the Nugent Trophy. That's wow. how good the kid is. Mark Mark Nugent should know that. Uh, I'm a fan of I'm a I'm a hockey fan, but unfortunately I'm a big fan of the pen, so I know. What are you gonna do? I, I, I can't help you there, man. Uh, I can't help you. My, you know where my heart is. He's a he's a brilliant guy, really, truly. If you're guy. listening, he's a brilliant guy. It seems like we've also been invaded by members of the Comptroller's team. Who are these? So the watchdogs. Yes, the watchdog. John John Hanley, our deputy legislative officer. Alex Butler, our campaign manager. Manny Welsh, his indomitable deputy chief of staff. Well, I want to talk a minute about the comptroller, and I want to talk about his January 29th inauguration that I had the honor and privilege to attend. Len, I have never quite seen a coalition. And I'm not just saying this. And people, you know, I, I want to say to the camera, and if you're watching, uh, people, they, they give me gruff about having a, a friendship and a relationship with you. And first and foremost, I tell them that Lynn Foxwell and I are, without uh, politics all aside, we are friends. Yes, we, are we are close friends, and I admire you. I think the world of you. And if you're wrong, I will tell you. And, and similarly, if I'm wrong, you will tell me. And they think that I have some unnatural uh, association with the Comptroller, and that somehow taints what I'm trying to do. And that's just not true. I can't pick up the comptroller and call him anytime I want to. And there have been times you've been you've asked us tough questions. You've written stories that we would prefer not to have written. 
and uh, and you've and you've been critical when we deserve to be criticized. Well, that's the that's the criticism that I have heard from the uh, the speaker's uh, chief aide and the and the and the Senate president's chief aide is that I'm inextricably linked to the comptroller. Not, couldn't and, be further from the truth. Could not be further from the truth. And I just want to put it out there because that is unfair. That is an unfair characterization, and they can say what they want. But it's inaccurate because there, there have been times when you 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 have you have cornered us and you've asked us hard questions about policy issues, about politics, and um, uh, you've held, you've kept us honest, which is what a good journalist, good, good journalist is supposed to do with uh, our elected and appointed leaders. His his inauguration, where I sat next to Bruce Barriano, <laughs> sit and I and then I had the, the fortune to to interview Mr. Barriano later this session. He assembled a coalition that's worth pointing out on this show. He assembled people like Delegate Jillian Ivey, the youngest member of the Maryland House of Delegates, was elected and ousted ultimately Red Jimmy Tarlew. But God, and we, we make jokes about Red Jimmy, but Jimmy Tarlew is a hardworking man who believes he's a true blue believer. And, Red and, Jimmy served the people well. He yeah. represented his district. Yeah, that's right. And you had Senator Corey McRae, who came out, who District 45, who ousted one of the top deputies in the state Senate. And, and consider that. And, and also, he had um, he had the governor right next to him that spoke. Uh, Mayor Jake Day from the, the Eastern Shore, the great city of Salisbury, where, Len, you're, you're a lot closer to Salisbury than I am in Gaithersburg. But Jake Day, under his leadership and under the council's leadership, they are, they are transforming Salisbury into once a sleepy small town and city on the Eastern Shore to a vibrant epicenter of, of college, of business economic development, and, and extreme passionate growth. I mean, consider that. It, you know, you're right, and Jake's doing an absolutely amazing job. But to your point about the coalition we've assembled, I go back to what a very smart person told me a long time ago. This person said, Len, there are two Democratic parties. It's not liberal versus conservative. It's not metropolitan and rural. It's those who are on the inside and those of us who are on the outside. Those are the two Democratic parties. And what you saw saw on January 29th and what I've seen assembling under the Franchise banner over the past several years is a coalition that transcends philosophy, demographics, generations. Political party. Political party. But there's one thing that ties them all together. They feel like they've been on the outside too long, looking for the same secret handshake that a few people inside the Annapolis machine have, where a secret handshake um, and a promise of a few friendly votes can get you inside the clubhouse. And I'm telling you, I believe, and, and Ryan, we should have a longer conversation about this. I believe that the quest for reform and then the kick and the the pushback against top-down machine politics, I think that stands poised to be the next great political movement of our era, just like economic populism was in the early part of this decade. I, I want to mention somebody who just walked in. So, oh my God! So this is a celebrity. Good God, there he is. Get in here, man. Bring it in for the real thing. He's a celebrity. Jake Burdett. Jake Burdett. Yes, yes. So nice to meet you. This is the man who was brave enough to take a, 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 a camera inside of the Andy Harris. And you know what? I think that this gentleman is going to end up changing the law. 
he's going to go up and you're going to change the law. See, and, and, and honestly, this is this is. And I'm sorry that happened. I mean, that's it, it's tough. I mean, I, I get it, and uh, I, what's that? No. And this and this is what I'm talking about. This is a guy, Jake Burdett, who went in to talk to his to went in talk to his congressman. In this case, first district representative Andy Harris, a very very conservative Republican from the first district to talk about changes to our marijuana laws. And all he wanted to do in a, in a, in a public meeting between a public official and his taxpaying constituents is to record the conversation. Yep. And for that, he got arrested and was dra- dragged through the judicial process. And people look in and say, what the hell is our political system all about? What's with the secrecy? What's with the backroom dealings? What is with the machine politics? You know, why you know, these people work for us, we don't work for them. And it's people like Jake Burdett who I swear by being intrepid, by showing bravery and poise and crucibles like that, they're changing the outcome. Well, Jake, you got a Look at this. you got a promising future, my friend. So, you and I will have to sit down and talk about this uh this whole ordeal, and more so because I want to learn as much as I can about the, uh, the Eastern Shore and the Lower Progressive. So, um, there's still fallout from the Andy Harris situation, so there's plenty to talk about. Well, you keep your head up, sir. You And I, I, I give you a lot of credit for, for coming down and sticking to principles. So I, uh, and, and Jake, I, gave, I, I made a contribution to you guys last week. I did, I did it for two reasons. Number one, Harry Basehart is my friend. I know what he fought for for all those years. And number two, because you're showing remarkable courage in the face of adversity. Thank you, I appreciate it. And also, thank you. That kind of guts. Uh, college Democrats as well. Now, here's, yeah. my, here's my question. Where is Richard DeShay Elliott? I'm looking Richard for Richard DeShay Elliott. Get him over here. I want to see, you know, I have to meet. I bow before that man. Richard, Richard and I have uh, had some interesting Facebook exchanges. We, him and I need to, to reunite in person and, and meet and discover that we are that we're very much have the same interest in making sure Maryland moves in the right direction and I think we would probably can have a budding friendship but I'll tell you what this is this is this is illustrative of the point I was trying to make Richard Deshay Elliott and I probably on, on philosophical issues we probably disagree far more than we agree I'm a pretty moderate conservative guy Richard is about as progressive as they come yep. and I think Jake would agree with that <laughs> but I'll tell you what Richard and I both are outsiders in this system he's one of the comptroller's biggest fans because because he too is tired of the machine politics yeah. in which a handful of big corporations and their seven-figure lobbyists and a handful of senior legislators go into a back room and we, the rest of us are standing outside waiting for the white plumes of smoke to come out to see what's going to happen on legislation that Len, affects our Len, lives. I think what we saw tonight is that Jake Burdett is going to run against Andy Harris in, yeah. in 2020. Tweet, tweet it <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not, and we should not be spreading any misinformation, but I, I just gave you a template for your campaign, that, and it's all about transparency. So, it, and, and Congressman Harris, who I know is not watching, um, we'll send him the video. I, I want to I mention two other people. These are people who are very dear to me. One is the single most effective, accomplished president of the Salisbury Young Democrats in my lifetime. Her name is Ellie Brookbank. Ellie Brookbank was at our first live show. She was. She's a graduate of Chopticon High School in St. Mary's County. 
Her father, Skip, Broad, Skip Brookbank, is one of St. Mary's County's most respected small business owners. That's right. And she is basically running the comptroller's office now, and she lets me drive. I've seen her in here. action. Yeah. She does the work of three people. And the second is Alex Butler, a graduate of Queen Anne's High School, Peter's campaign manager. And I'm telling you, this was an all-bayside conference soccer player who is one of the best youth soccer referees that we have right now on the Eastern Shore. Yeah. Calls a good game, lets them play through it. Amen to that. I'm telling you, every time I get discouraged about the about the political system, I look at people like Ellie, Alex, and Jake, and I, and I feel pretty good about the outcome. I think our future is better than our present. Well, you know, it's it reminds me of that song in the movie Coming to America, where they're on the stage, <laughs> where the it was uh, the guy that gets up um, and he says, "I believe that the children are the future." <laughs> And John Hanley, I don't know what the hell he does. John Hanley. Every time I see him, he's got a red solo cup in his hand. Mm. Yeah. We're talking about the first congressional district. Oh, there, okay. We're talking the first congressional district. First congressional district. Well, um, but you asked about Peter Francho earlier, and we, we, you were talking about the about the alcohol bill, and I want to talk and. This was this was a weird session, and I think that at, great, at, at critical at critical instances over the course of this general assembly, people people were acting a out of fear of leadership, and they were they were using taxpayer money. I hate to say it, they were using taxpayer money to resolve political grudges, and that worries me because that sort of thing has a corrosive effect on the trust between the Lynn. taxpayers and our elected leaders. $50 million, $50 million is the price tag that they're going to expend on factoring this out to a new, Is it? it's not even an agency, it's a commission. It's an independent, it would be an independent commission right. that is wholly 100% duplicative. Is that, a, is that $50 million well spent? I mean, I know I'm asking you and I know your position, but... Why is it that I, we talk less about the fiscal note of this rather than the implications that the agency itself, there has never been an adverse report or a negative stripe against the Comptroller's Alcohol and Regulatory Agency. And when I was in, I was talking to the Comptroller, interviewed him um, a few months ago, I asked him, I said, how is this affecting your staff? And he said, the morale is extremely low. Yeah. And it's not of his doing. People are nervous. I mean, people like you and I, we've been around a while and we kind of know the political ebbs and flows, but these aren't political operatives, right? These are just, these are hardworking state employees of 20, 25 years in the system. They're approaching retirement. They've got kids, grandkids, and mortgages, and and they're concerned by the uncertainty. They don't know who they're going to be working for. They don't know who's going to sign their paycheck. All they want to do is go to work. And do the, and do the job that they've been hired to do, just like they've done it for decades. Yeah. And you ask, is this is this a good tax use of taxpayer money? We'd be better served if we were to take fifty million dollars in unmarked bills and just light it up on Bladen Street. Yeah. Because all this is is creating a a second agency to do exactly what the comptroller's office does now. Um, but they won't be able to do it as well. Because this agency will not have access to taxpayer data that they need in order to carry out their regulatory So how does it, how, how, is your agency at the comptroller's office expected to then 
categorically give over all of your files and information. And well, we can't. I mean, that's a that's. A I thing. mean, where does that where does that information derive from? I mean, that we tried we tried to tell them. This is going to be a logistical nightmare. This is, isn't going, it? This, is this is going to be an absolute yeah. circus. This is going to be like the stateroom scene from Night at the Opera, and uh, because we are a tax agency, and right. under under federal law, Ryan, I can't emphasize this strongly enough. Under federal law, we cannot share taxpayer information with an outside entity, which at that point under this bill they would be. So. How are they going to do this? I swear to God, Ryan, I have no idea what the thinking is here. That's a it would be a mess. Len, let's talk about some of the other big ticket items that happened during this legislative session. It's the final day. We expect I expect that the the bill, the Clean Energy Jobs Act, is going to pass. This would bring about thousands of new solar jobs. It's going to require by 2030 that the state is almost fully operating on renewable energy sources. This is going to be, I think this is one of the more underreported bills of this session. Would you agree? It's, it's one of the more underreported bills because I think we're dealing with matters of engineering and economic complexity. But this is going to have, this is going to have one, this is one of these pieces of legislation that will carry a large footprint. This is going, this is going to be systemic change in the way the state of Maryland does business. It's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to matter a lot. And another bill, I guess in July or October, this presumably if the governor signs the bill, the alcohol, or rather the tobacco, to smoke a pack of cigarettes, you're going to have to be 21 years old. Were you surprised by that? No, I'm not, because I, I, I've, been, I've been here long enough to know that when... Um, People like Vinnie DeMarco, who I'm a big fan of, comes, to, him Anna- on the show last comes to Annapolis with a good idea and a gift wrap poll saying 92% of the people support it. Uh, these things have a way of gathering momentum. Um, you know, I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of divided on it. To me, first of all, these are, these are they cause cancer. They're disgusting. They're unhealthy. And anything we can do to keep... To keep these things out of the hands of minors is something we all do. On the other hand, Ryan, experience has shown that when you enact laws to restrict public access to tobacco, it has the unintended consequence of increasing smuggling activity. Uh, there's a black market for There's everything. a black market, just like every, and we and we can show you every time there's been an increase in the tobacco excise tax yeah. rate, we see an uptick in uh, smuggling and cars coming from from down south up to Maryland and places like Pennsylvania, New York. My concern is they're doing this at the same time. They're screwing around with tobacco regulation in the state. And I think Maryland is going, as a result of those two actions together, Maryland's going to be point zero for uh, for uh, for tobacco smuggling, and we're not ready to handle it. Lynn, the 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 House of Delegates in the state Senate. They originating in Senator Paul Pinsky's committee. They said the governor does not, should not control the school calendar. There should be no executive order. They said that individual school districts should. Hello. Should. Who's that? Chris Van Hollen's aide, Melissa oh, Kelly. Okay. So, uh, so you were talking about the school after Labor Day. Yeah. Thing. So they and the and the House and the Senate overruled the governor's veto of that. So now it looks like that individual school districts will now have 
control over their calendar. I had you on earlier in the session with uh, the venerable Senator Ron Young from District 3 out of Frederick City. And it looks like that control is going to go back to the, uh, the school districts. So I, I, think, I, I think about the school after Labor Day issue, and I think about the comptroller's issue in tandem. You might be asking yourself, Len, what, do, what does one have to do with the other? I'm thinking about them, them spending $50 million that they all need to spend to create an agency that doesn't need to exist, right? And then I'm thinking about, at the same time, overturning the governor's executive order on school after Labor Day, which is something that we know generates more than $100 million of, ec- of annual economic activity around the state, which results in more tax revenue for the state of Maryland and our counties and towns. These people, th- these lawmakers did all this and at the same time had the nerve to come and say, gee whiz, how are we going to pay for Kerwin? Mm, another how, big- are we, how are we going to pay for Kerwin? Where are we going to find the money when at the same time we're leaving taxpayer money on the table? We're, we're flushing taxpayer money down the drain. Um, we gotta think this through. We I gotta wanna, start being. We gotta stop being so careless with the football. The Kerwin was a, a big issue that resonated all throughout session, and finally passed one vote opposed in the state senate. Uh, Senator Chris West from District Forty Two. Yeah. And now you understand why Chris did it. Yeah, no, I get it. I mean, the Baltimore County issue, and, and we had the county executive here earlier. We should have asked him about it. But I, I want to take a brief prelude and introduce Henry Caligari. Oh my God! This Henry, is get here, man. This is one. This is probably the most effective Democrat in the state of Maryland today. That's a. And then we have. Hey, come on the, in here, man. And then of course we have Mr. Al Alfred Mendelson over here from Baltimore County on the Republican side. So we got. Democrat and the Republican leaders of Baltimore County. You want to do a little crossfire here? <laughs> crossfire, yeah. It's unbelievable. But I'm, I'm telling you. Um, I Henry. Have, I have learned far more from Henry Caligari uh, than I've ever passed along to him. Yeah. This, this, this young man is wise beyond his years. He came out to our talls party, remember, Lynn? I do remember yeah. that. This, this, is, this, this is a guy who I, I would choose to believe represents the future of our party. He's progressive, he's pragmatic, and he's solutions-driven. Future candidate himself, maybe. I don't know. I hope so. I, I, I'd we, like to see him. We, we just launched uh, Henry Caligari 2022. Oh, Jesus. So. That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> and now Mendelssohn 2022. And he, has, and he has a haircut. What's this? Yeah, I like yeah. it. Well, I'm going bald. It's all right. Stop it. Uh, and he's self-deprecating. <laughs> Lynn, you know, I want to wrap up at around 6 o'clock, because yeah. I don't think that... <laughs> I think we've exhausted and talked about it, everything. I mean, Lynn, we, we talked for hours about what happened this session. And for me, covering this as a young, intrepid reporter trying to make his bones and his skid his spurs here in Annapolis, I've learned a whole hell of a lot. I did, and I, I really tried to buckle down and understand the process and follow bills from the start to, start to the finish. And, you know, in the next couple of days, it's going to be very tough for, for our state and our, our political system. So I do think that there's reason to be optimistic about the future of, of Maryland. There's a lot of bills that passed this session that, quite frankly, I, it surprised me. I mean, this was, a, this was a big session. It really was a big session. Here, uh, here's my takeaway from this session. I believe what we're seeing is 
the beginning of a transformation from an old era into a new era of Maryland politics. I agree, and I want to mention somebody that is not here today. I want to mention Senator Will Smith, um, who is uh, now going off to Afghanistan to serve our country. Left session, uh, he's a hero, somebody that I have profound respect for covering. He's a good and decent human being, and uh, I wish him much love and success as he's defending us and our liberties over in Afghanistan. Yeah, and I'm also thinking about the family of the speaker. I mean, we think think of him as a a public figure and as a a political leader, but he's also a a husband and a father. And um, I just hope somehow, through the the loving grace of God, they they find peace and comfort in what's going to be a really terrible few days ahead. And I think that you're going to hear so many stories about how Mike Bush coached young legislators to become where they are today. And I saw that passion, that sentiment uh, by Senator Sarah Alfred of District 30, who was brought to tears today on the Senate floor when she spoke about somebody whom she deeply and profoundly loved as a human being. And that's the difference in politics between us and Washington, I really believe, is that this is a family. Even though we... We have our squabbles, we have our fights. We have our squabbles and, you know... Yeah. <laughs> Just this, the end of the day. you know when I when I when, when I mentioned to uh, good old uh, Ian over in Senator Pensky's office, <laughs> you know, Len, you've taken it on the chin a couple times, but you, I've never seen you make it personal. Yeah. No, I mean, and you can't. It's business. it's business. I mean, I saw Vicki Gruber across the street coming over here. Yeah. She's Mike. She's the she for so many years. She was the the power behind Mike Miller and. And uh, just a, a supreme legislative tactician, but I've known her for 20 years. And today, there was no, there were no political differences, there were no issues. Just two people, they known each other, been friends for a long time. I said, I said, Vicky, come here, and Lynn. I gave her a big hug because at the end of the day, we're like a family. We fight and squabble, but we come together for the big things. Yeah, I agree with that. Lynn, who were the breakout stars of this Annapolis session? As far as legislators. This is a little counterintuitive. You may disagree with me, but yeah. I think the one break... First of all, I think Sarah Elforth had a very, very good session. I think she has proven herself to be a, a remarkable meat and potatoes legislator who's very attentive to the priorities of her district, and she got a lot of bills passed. I think a breakout star this year is Mary Washington. And Mary Washington, in losing that fight over the Hopkins bill prove that she's a big deal who's going to who's destined for bigger things for three reasons number one we talk about fighting the machine well there's no bigger machine than Johns Hopkins University and Mary Washington is willing to go toe-to-toe because she cared about something she took it on the she took the issue on on fundamental reasons and there was was no self-interest involved there was nothing in it for her other than a desire to do the right thing and then also uh, she she reminded people that fundamentally, to her core, she's an outsider. I'll, I'll tell you what, if that woman, I don't think she wants it. I don't know why she'd want it. But if she were to announce her mayor tomorrow, would you I go would, work for her? Damn right, I would in a heartbeat. I'd go and. Would you knock doors? Every day, every chance I get. You're going to say every day, but you. Every chance I get. Well, i got to earn a living. I, yeah. I can't do every day. I know. You have two kids, and plus, but you're a no, baseball coach. But nights and weekends, when my kid, my team's not practicing, Amen. damn right I'd be up in 43 Amen. And throughout the city. I had the honor and privilege to interview Senator Mary Washington on Friday morning. Somebody who is thoughtful, who's reasonable. What would you think of her? 
I, I thought that she has a bright future. I think she has a bright future. And whether or not she decides to, to run for mayor or not, and I know there's plenty of people whispering into her ear to consider that adventure. Because I tell you right now, Lynn, that primary in 2020 for Catherine Pugh's seat is not going to be a Republican. We yeah, know that. And Sheila Dixon's a joke. I mean, you can't... Re- you can't replace one crook with another crook. No. That's a joke. Um, well. and, and, so, and some of these other people are being talked about. They may be very good people, but they, they come from within the machine, and we need something fresh, and we need something different. Mary Washington is that person. If she would want it, I'll say this. 2022 is not as far away as you might think, and I think that anyone who chooses to run for governor is going to be looking at Mary Washington as a prime prime potential running mate if in fact she doesn't have her hat in the ring in her own right which is also very possible any other breakout stars Lynn? Jill Carter Jill Carter has been kind of an outside player in this town for a long time but Jill Carter was the one who really kind of shone the floodlight on the self-dealing that was going on up at Ums and she was unafraid she's in the city she lives there she knows her constituents Jill Carter really stood out this session. I think she had a phenomenal session, Ryan. I think she moved, she she transformed in front of her very eyes from a fringe player to a power player uh, because she's not afraid to break out from the pack. Yeah. And there's a lesson there for all these other lawmakers. It's okay to break out of the V formation. Nothing's going to happen because, because the machine doesn't elect you. The people of your district elect you. And, and I think that once people get down into... And, and I keep seeing everywhere we go, acting Mayor Jack Young. I wish we could get him on. Here. Oh, there's a legend. A legend. <laughs> Big baseball fan, by the way. You know, he did the uh, the council president's cup a few yeah. years ago where all the, the city high schools participate in the baseball tournament. Big baseball fan. Is he? Yeah. He reached well, out you're, to, a, you're a Nats fan. I am a Nats fan. So I'm, an, I'm a Red Sox and an Orioles fan. I think, the, I think the Nats are going to be okay, but our I bullpen is a, is a burning meth lab right now. Lynn, it's a mess. I, I wish we could spend hours talking about baseball because I'd love that more than politics. Let's go to a game this year. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. We'll take the kids, too. No, let's not take the kids. Okay. We do not take the kids. Okay. It's just us. All right. You and me. Yeah. Because right. I'd actually like to watch the game and stay for the whole thing. Have a few craft beers. That could be awesome. Do they serve craft beers? Yeah, they do. They do DC beers. Although I'll tell you, they got their first Maryland craft beer on tap, which is Denizens. Uh, they got Denizens there now. Well, so, Julie Verratti, buddy. Julie Verratti is one of the single most finest people I know in the state of Maryland and in politics. I think she's a phenomenal human being, and it's been an honor to get to know her and someone who could do anything she wants in Maryland politics. Totally agree. The woman could write her own ticket, and you know, if, well, maybe you do. That she's getting ready to open up another uh, craft beer brew pub. Right down by the University of Maryland. You got it. I I had the pleasure to interview her uh, last year, and we sat down in the basement of Denison's. We had a beer, and we talked for her. She gave her unvarnished opinion about what really happened in the aftermath of the election. And it was one of the most honest hours of my life where she talked about what happened to her race. Of course, that was a tough race for her now. Yeah, and but I support, as you know, I supported Alex and Julie and uh, supported them publicly and held events for them. And Talk about outsiders of outsiders. So. And you know what? I was proud of both of them. They, they didn't have a lot of money and no one knew who they were, but they, they talked about issues. They ran a smart they race. They worked hard. They worked hard. And there's something to build on if they ever want to come back. Yeah. Well, 
Len, uh, a few more hours until Sine Die where they drop the balloons and they the fanfare about. Now, like, as we said, it's at 11.30 tonight, they're going to do a tribute to House Speaker Mike Bush. And uh, the governor's going to be there and he's going to talk. And presumably the, the Senate president and uh, some colleagues in the House. Um, it's going to be a tough night. It's going to be a tough night for everybody. It's going to be a tough night for the family. You're right. Yeah. Um, so we'll, yeah, we'll, my, we'll we'll pull through it. Yeah, my we heart. Have. And as we we end, um, I'd like to end on a positive note to say that to all the legislators who came down and worked hard, no matter what issues you were on, thank you. This is what we elected you to do. Um, there's no place like Annapolis that I've learned, and it. it this is the bread and butter of our state. It's an honor to be a lifelong born and bred Marylander. I love this place. I'll never leave. I'll never leave. I, uh, I'm going to stay here. In fact, I, I tell you this all the time, Lynn. My, my wife and I's future home is on the eastern shore. So, I mean, that's where we're going to end up. So, um, Come on in, buddy. The water's warm. I know. And we have a couple of good crafts. Maybe, maybe, maybe Cambridge or... Uh, Easton or St. Michael's. You know we love St. Michael's. I'd love to call uh, Saturday afternoon. I'd love to call my man Ryan and say, hey, Ryan, where are we doing? Absolutely. Are we doing RAR? Bikes. Evo. Yeah. What are we doing? Yeah. I, we'll go to Evo, too. There you go. Len, thank you for, for making time to do this. It's a pleasure. I mean, you and I have done this. I mean, we're pros at this now. I think, so. I think Ryan, you're, you are performing an indispensable public wow. service. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for keeping us informed. Thank you. And I think our next one is probably going to be... Uh, what's the next big event? Talls? We have to do our annual Talls party. Uh, MML. Maryland oh, M- Municipal League. When's that? It's the last week of June. Okay, so the last week of June, we'll do that. We'll set- we, should, we, should go, we should do something. At Where's Ho- that at? Ocean City. Okay. But I thought they had something in August, too. That's well, Oh, that's Mako. That's Mako. It's, 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 like, it's like tennis. The, way they, the French Open in Wimbledon, the U.S. Open. Okay. The big three in Maryland is MML, Talls, and Mako. Okay. They'll be here before we know it. Well, I hope everybody drinks craft beer tonight and drives safely, or not drives at all. Or not drive at all. <laughs> not drive at all. But uh, I want to thank everybody for watching and listening to A Minor Detail on live stream and podcast. It's been a hell of a session. There's going to be a lot to unwind and unpack after the next couple of days, and I'm going to be churning out several pieces on what's going to happen in the future. And I want to give a shout-out to, to a couple of people um, as we end on a positive note. There has been no more bigger influences this year in journalism than the Baltimore Sun to Luke Broadwater. Oh, my God, you're right. Luke Broadwater is the man. He, his reporting and the Baltimore Sun's reporting, they blew the lid off, and Pam over at the Baltimore Sun and another close friend of ours of the show is Josh Kurtz. Josh, the colonel. The colonel of Maryland politics. Josh Kurtz just killed it with Bruce DePutt. And with they, his, they are, Danielle, they are a reminder that that independent journalism still exists and it matters now more. Josh than ever. Kurtz is unafraid to go after the story. He puts things out there, and he knows he's an institutional beacon of hope of this this establishment. He has done incredible work. I give him I give him a lot of credit for what he's accomplished with Maryland Matters, and uh, I always appreciate his encouragement and. Uh, I don't know. What else is there to talk about? Um, we're going to keep our eye on the uh, healthy Holly. She's not very healthy right now. I'm going to go have another beer. Un- unhealthy Holly. So yeah. she's sickening Sally. So, <laughs> All right, Lynn. Thank you. It's Ryan, always a pleasure. 
It's pleasure's all on this side of the table, my friend. Red Lynn, over and out. All right, Red Jimmy.